and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is singer-songwriter Boo Kuwagoo. Now, Boo was the lead singer of the band The Bible back in the 80s, and they had a couple minor hits in the States before breaking up. And Boo, after the breakup, worked with a bunch of different artists. Darden Smith, Edie Reader, Tweezes Chris Dilford, and became a very prolific songwriter. To this day, he keeps working with a ton of artists, even during the quarantine. We talk about the songwriting process, his time with the Bible, how they broke up, and if they're ever going to release new albums. Boop, very funny guy. I love his sense of humor, and I hope you do as well. So, Boop, I discovered you guys, originally the, the Bible, uh, yeah. in an interesting way. I woke up in the middle of the night, the TV on, MTV was on, and they had the show 120 Minutes, so it was just like, modern rock, you know, new wave stuff in your video for Crystal Palace came on. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, really good song. Never heard this band. Interesting name. And yeah. then I mean, to sleep, but I thought it was a dream because I really didn't remember too much of it. It's like you're in a story, you hear a song, yeah, yeah, uh, like lyrics, you try to remember the lyrics. So I remembered the band name, of course, because it, it, it stood out, but um, it, it was hard finding your stuff. In, in this I mean, it did, it did come out. Uh, it did come out in, America, uh, that album, that album's called Eureka, and we did a, we went over and me and the guitar player Neil McCall we went over and did a big promo tour. That was very exciting. I remember we were on, it got very busy. We did five, five cities in one day. We weren't wow. used to that sort of thing. So five flights in one day. We felt, we felt like proper rock stars. It was nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a whirlwind for you guys. I mean, just like. You said five cities, you know, in like one day. Just it's like just going, probably doing the same spiel, you know, playing the song, yeah. some questions, right? Yeah, we were we were very lucky. We had a and our manager came with us. We had a fantastic guy who manages a man called Marcus Russell. And after after us, he went on to manage Oasis and Crowded House and Johnny Marr and stuff like that. And he was a brilliant guy. And I just remember that trip as being amazing fun. That's what I remember about that trip. Yeah. Right. But we never, we never, we never, um, we never toured the states. I've toured the states by myself and with Eddie Reader, who I work with, and and of course with Darden Smith, who you've had on before. But the band, we never got to go over there, which is a shame because uh, I, though I set myself a very good band, and Neil McCall, who's the guitar player, is just like amazing guitar player. And um, but we still play. We've played uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, people still like to watch us play. In fact, more people come and see us now than when we were going. And and each time we play, it gets it gets better. So we, we might do it again, you know. Oh, that'd be great. Now, why like didn't you guys like take off in the states? I think I think the name didn't help us. Right. You know, I think calling ourselves that at the beginning was you just think you're going to be playing to your mates around where you live. But uh, suddenly we were got a little bit famous here and there were angry letters to newspapers and stuff like that and a lot of goths would turn up to our gigs and be very disappointed it just seemed like a good idea at the time and i i think that probably had a terrible uh impact i remember that i was very anxious about the record coming out in america so i spoke to uh through with our management we spoke to the promotional team there and we said look i understand that this could be a controversial name and it'd be very important to me that you handle any promotion with a lot of sensitivity and stuff like that. And so I was at, at Marcus's office and a fax came through 
from Chrysalis saying we've had a great first day of promo uh, with the record and they showed us what they'd done on the first day is they've got some nuns, some strippers to dress as nuns and hand out our single at a bowling alley. So we knew we knew we were doomed then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which part? The stripper nuns or the bowling alley? <laughs> the whole, the, the whole, the whole sort of chemistry of the thing just didn't feel as though it was respectful, as as respectful as I was hoping. Um, but we got played. In fact, Crystal Palace uh, that song actually got in the in the bottom end of the chart.
it was not to be, but that's fine. I, mean, I ended up touring a lot in America and even had an American manager for a while and, 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 and toyed with moving to Austin, uh, where Darden's from. But uh, that's fine. You know, it's such a, it's ancient history. Like it's so, so long ago, you know, I, 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 I'm always sort of thinking about what I'm doing now. So but it's quite fun. I've Part of lockdown that's been fun is that I started a Patreon page and I've been finding lots of old archive stuff and putting it up there. And uh, I'm not one for nostalgia normally, but I've actually been quite enjoying it because I've realized I've I've uh, I've had some really fun things happen, really interesting things happen. And, I, you know, you normally just move on. You don't think about it. But I've had to do that in order to put things up there. And it's like, wow, all these cool things I've had, I've got to do over the years. It's good. Yeah, I mean, it's been mm. a very diverse career. And I'll start with Darden because uh, I was you know, a big fan of, you know, mm. his. Well, yeah. how did that collaboration come about? Cause it seems like it'd be a pretty unique one. Well, that was that was totally put together that we we were, we were an arranged marriage. Huh? So I knew who Darden was. Right. I'd actually got his first record and really liked it because I really liked what was called new country then. And Steve Earl is, uh, produced one of our records and I knew him and I through him. I knew I'd met Nancy Griffith and, and, uh, uh, I wouldn't say I met Lyle Lovett, but I said hello to him in a parking lot. But so I really liked that bunch of people. And of course, Darden was the new, new country person. He was the next wave. And I really loved that record. And uh, we had an A&R man publisher at the time called Nigel Grange, who's a, a, a huge figure in the British music industry. He's died, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, but he signed people like Rod Stewart. These all when he was in his early twenties, Rod Stewart, Thin Lizzy, 10CC. Then he had a label called Ensign, which I was signed to, which had the Boomtown Rats. And then the golden period was Sinead O'Connor and World Party and the Waterboys. Incredible man to be around. And he was his idea to put us together. It was his idea for us to be produced by Steve Earle as well. He was a really out. Uh, uh, he didn't think he thought uh, very differently from a lot of the other other people in the music industry because he was a, a fan and an enthusiast rather than wanting to hang around pop stars. So. He suggested that I work with Darden and I knew who he was and I said that would be fantastic. Uh, Darden agreed as well saying that he was, he was, he really liked my music, but he was lying. He'd never heard my music at all and he just wanted a free trip to London. Right. So yeah, <laughs> but, but by pure luck, it worked very well and we're still really good friends. And uh, only last year we did a tour around the UK, a 30th anniversary tour of the album we made together called Evidence and it was, um, it was brilliant. It was so good. And he comes over once a year and we do songwriting camps together and stuff like that. So he's, he's remained a friend ever since. That's so good. Yeah, I, I know he's big with the songwriting camps involving the soldiers as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. And I've been doing, I, I, I do something similar over here, only it's not as, um, I'm not as kind as him. So mine's just, a, they're just songwriting camps. I'm not helping anyone, but he's, his, thing's, his thing's amazing. And then as a team, it works really, really well. And we do these, weeks and people come every year it's lovely so you mentioned evidence and i imagine putting two guys together as an arranged marriage that would be kind yeah. of difficult to you know write and release an album that, that album just took off quickly didn't it yeah it was amazing we just started writing right away within on the first day we'd got two of the songs by the end of four days we got near, nearly an album's worth and we got a record deal at the end of the week mad and then they flew us out flew me and my family out to austin and then dad and i wrote the rest of the record in a week and then 
we were recording it the following week and i love it because it brought it i realized i hadn't really co-written before that and now it's so much part of my life just before speaking to you i, I was working with somebody what she's wonderful she's called lady she calls herself lady nade n-a-d-e and she's a fantastic singer from bristol who i'd seen last year and now we've stuck connected up and the the whole way that you write with someone and the, the way you listen to someone and work with someone has all come from those sessions with Darden it's like it taught me and him I think so much so that I, it's become my life now really as well as doing my own records and performing and I I'm mean, very very busy all the time and it's how I like to be but all, all my friends all my deepest sort of relationships outside of family are all with other songwriters so that wouldn't have happened unless I'd met Darden, I don't think so. Right. And you mentioned he was the first person you, you co-wrote with. Mm -hmm. what, was it kind of difficult to kind of, at first, kind of like being a collaborative team since you've written all your No, not really. I think what I discovered was that, that that's what I'd wanted. I do write, of course I write my own records, but writing by myself, it's like, it's like torture. You're all <laughs> on your own. It's horrible. But as soon as I'm with someone, especially if I find them inspiring as a person, um, Nadine that I'm talking about, it's just every time we meet, something amazing happens. And that's sometimes when you're on your own, you, when you write with someone else, there's someone else who, who will go, yeah, that's it. That's what we need to do. But when you're on your own, it's sort of different. I still do it and I still love doing it. But that's what I took from meeting Darden was the, the magic of co-writing. And, and you mentioned Gary Clark, who's a really good friend of mine as well. And, and shortly after meeting Darden, I met Gary and we wrote lots of things together, the whole of an album together, which is called King Ale. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's a really fantastic record, but, really? uh, yeah. yeah, but um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I, 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 I wasn't in the band sort of thing. I was just there and helping with the recording and the writing, but He's a genius, Gary. So I've met these wonderful people through co-writing. So it's great, you know. I know uh, Sing Street. You know the um, you know the the movie that he wrote the music for. I was going to be on Broadway right before the. I know. It's oh, he's, he, there. He, there are other other things coming as well. He's just uh, and those are the sort of people that I've been that I'm really attracted to. These sort of people who are just full of ideas and energy and um, it's a wonderful thing, you know. So that's that really. Especially during COVID, that's been my every day. I'm meeting people, and today I will write with one, two, three, four different people, and it all it's great. It, you feel really connected to the world, you know, so it's good. Yeah. Do they search you out to collaborate, or do you yeah, search that? Them out? No, that tends to be people come to me. Yeah, I don't. I I I wouldn't really know how to. Maybe I'll occasionally say, do you fancy writing a song or something? But in general, people come and find me, which is really wonderful. And uh, I, hope, I hope that people tell them that I'm, you know, they'll have a, a sort of productive time with me and stuff like that. But no, I don't. I don't. And sometimes people say, who would you really like to write with? It's like, I don't know. I think the person I'd really like to write with is the next person that I write with. You know, it's not I don't I don't have a wish list or anything. You know? So when did that like was first happened was that after working with darden people yeah i well the big the big massive musical eddie? adventure of my life is eddie reader yeah definitely uh i'm uh yes i've been working with her 
I mean, she's in. I'm in Glasgow, and she's in Glasgow too. But of course, we can't see each other at the moment. But for over 25 years, I've been writing and recording and being in her band, and she is quite simply the best singer you'll ever hear. So it, I'm very lucky that I met her and we got got on. And I've she's recorded over 50 of my songs over the years, and and we've done had so many adventures. We may I produced an album of hers. Um, there's a disc on the wall there of um, Robert Burns songs something I would not have ever come across unless it was for her and that was that has I would say that's probably been the biggest musical adventure of my life is that whole period and putting that together and um, and so from that that led on to there was a song that on that first record I wrote songs for her which became very sort of well known and from that people have approached me and it's still still happening it's lovely right and like one was patience of angels right yes that, that's the song yeah and it was like it was up for awards and blah 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 and she won the brits and we sang it on the brits
It was it was my dream from being a young kid was to I had my I had a compilation album out a couple of years ago called My Name in the Brackets because when I was a kid I would study 45s and always be curious at the you know the names that were under the title in the bracket that's what that's always been I've always wanted to be that person you know so she she helped me she helped me get to that place right you know it's it's funny you mention that because now with everything streaming. You don't discover who worked on songs and albums anymore. It's you know it's a real shame. Well, it's a it's a it's a, I tell you what's a real shame is I don't know, I don't want you to judge me now, but I like to collect my own records. That's my hobby. Right. So I like to collect records that people have recorded my songs and stuff. So I've got a whole lockup full of albums and CDs and singles and but I've got a record that's come out today. Uh, in Ireland and it's coming out in UK, but it's, but it's going to be. I've just got a text just before I spoke to you that, that it's going to be successful. It's got it's gone on the big playlists and stuff. Okay. But I have no copy of it. Right. <laughs> it's a yeah. source of it's a source of great pain to me that I haven't got something to hold. Yeah. So I so I, I people will just have to take my word for it that I was involved with it. <laughs> it's, it's in the cloud. It's in the room. You just can't. Yes, see. I know. But yeah. I love things. I love collecting. Even here, since we've moved here, some of the stuff I haven't been able to take to lock up, I still, that's that's how I relax, is I try and find my own records. This probably makes me the most egotistical person on the planet. <laughs> and no, it, you, you should be a fan of yourself, right? I mean, it's... Well, I'm not a fan. I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I buy them, and then I put them in a the box, and I never listen to them. It's just like, <laughs> I don't gather the family around and say, ah. right. Have a listen to this, everyone. No, it's just I like to know that I've got everything. Right. This is probably probably something a bit wrong with me, but I like it's it's I'm still get incredibly excited about yeah. <laughs> about that. I'm very excited about. Maybe I could send you the track. You could play it. The thing that's coming out today because it's yeah. it's really. I tell you what is really exciting about it. I wrote it with this young guy, this Irish guy, and he's he made it during lockdown. But his his favorite records are. Some of his favorite records are like Tempted by Squeeze, you know, I do. And, um, you know, this year's model, um, Elvis Costello and all that period. And it's all one guy, Roger Bakarian, did all of that stuff. So he's got him to mix it. So, and it sounds great. It's really, so that sort of stuff is the sort of stuff I really get off on is that some little tune that we made up in his um, spare room.
Awesome. Squeeze, you know, working with Chris Dilford. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Chris. Chris is, uh, yeah, again, that's through song writing songs with someone, and that again is a totally different adventure because the way Chris works is he doesn't write music. He he will give you a lyric, and ask you to turn it into a song, which is a special kind of treat to get these wonderful lyrics. And so we've done three albums together so far, mm-hmm. and can hopefully we'll do more. We did a wonderful thing actually last year, which was called Some Fantastic Place, which was basically a, a show, almost like a, it was a show whereby uh, he would talk about his time in Squeeze and then we'd play Squeeze songs and then we'd play some newer songs and I would interview him during the show. It's like, it's really good. I can send you probably, I don't know if you've got the those records. Uh, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Send me yeah. yeah. So you'll have to give me your email address. I don't know if I've got your email address. Yeah. Just... I'll, I'll definitely forward it to you. Yeah. 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 Of all like you know the the people you you've collaborated with, which one has like kind of like driven you, you know, creatively the most? I think. I think there are two or three people are quite unexpected. One of them is a guy called Peter Wilson, who goes under the name Duke Special. Okay. I don't know if anyone in America knows who Duke Special is, but uh, um, the album, apart apart from that one, that, that I am mo- was the most incredible experience. It's called Under the Dark Cloth, and it was written for the Metropolitan Museum in New York for an exhibition of 100-year-old photographs, and each song is about a photograph. And that was 
the most intense writing session. He's he's absolutely brilliant, Peter. I, I it, it blows my mind that you don't know who he is because he he sort of he's one person. Another person who pushes me a lot is my son, actually, who writes songs. And some of my songs on recent albums have been co-written with him. He's called Ben Hewardine. And he makes records. But when we write together, he's incredibly, he pushes me really hard melodically. And I really like that. But somebody who I've only met in the last few weeks is a guy from Slovakia who approached me to work. And he's called... It's called Vlad. And when we, we write songs together, he is amazing. He's amazing. And and we wrote something yesterday and he pushed me so hard on. He said, well, that's all right, but you need to go a bit further. need to go a bit further. So uh, quite unexpected people, actually. But those that's an honest answer. Those three people popped into my head. And then, and of course, you don't know any of them <laughs> but you can you can listen to peter's records i mean you can i think my son's records you can they're pretty obscure but you can find he goes under the name the entertainment okay. and you can you can find find his stuff and uh vlad goes under the name queer jane is what his band's called and we've got a single i've uh helped him get a deal over here so but he's a he's incredibly talented but I could mention three other people next time you ask me, but that, those are the three popped into my head. The, the beauty, I mean, it's a double as story we mentioned before about the, um, you know, the credits not being on any streaming. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's at like the tip of your fingers. You can just like everyone you mentioned, I can just search for right now and discover them, which, you know, way back when. No, of have- course. Yeah, yeah. We'd have to go and hang around in record shops. I know. I used to I used to work in a record shop and I'm, I sometimes miss that thrill of the yeah. hunt on the chase. Yeah, you can find. So now, well, Peter's uh, career is there at your fingertips. You can see he's made many, many, many records and um, they're all fantastic. So you'll enjoy that. Oh, great. Yeah, because you know, way back when, like you mentioned, Gary Clark uh, finding any from Danny Wilson in the states yeah. for the longest time was difficult. So going, you know, store to store, I couldn't find it. Luckily, I think it was one of the Virgin megastore in New York City had a uh, import section, and he was on Virgin. So luckily, I was able to find it before all the streaming went out. It's just so easy yeah. to, to get. But you know, it's just a double-edged sword that way. Yeah, because it was fun. The moment of triumph when you found the record you were looking for. It's like it's not quite the same when you press the button and it's just there. But there you go. But I do think it's cool with younger people, though, because they find music in different ways. And it's like like with all three of my kids, they've all found music and, and, and they don't have the peer pressure and they don't have they don't have um, just the stuff we had to go through in, in terms of what what we could find just because of what record companies dictated was pushed. And all three of them have got really good taste in music and they find really obscure things and they just think, I like that. It's not, you know, so there's, I think it's quite good if you, if you, younger people, it's, it's nice way of finding music, you know. Right. Cause I'm sure, you know, you along with me have bought like plenty of records that have one good song and the rest are just trash and you spent, you know, quite a lot of money on it. <laughs> yeah. I think the strangest one 
for me like that was and i can't remember the guy's name is that uh, the, in the bible we had a saxophone player who was a well-known jazz player and i said and he recommended a record to me it's called jimmy forrest it's called forest fire and it's it's just just it's mentally good it's wonderful and i became really sort of curious about it and then i found that on the same day that was recorded in the morning and the same day in the afternoon the very same set of people recorded another album uh and except instead of jimmy forrest being the name it was the the hammond player was the was the name but it was the same people in the same room on the same day and i spent months trying to find that record and then i finally found it i think it was a japanese import Mm. and it was rubbish (laughs) it's like they'd obviously had a lot to drink at lunchtime but that but yeah so sometimes you can have terrible things can happen it's very strange you couldn't it didn't even sound any good either because it sounds so good the first it's obviously the engineer and everyone had just gone had a few drinks this will do yeah how Going back to the Bible for a sec, how how yeah. different was your writing style then compared to it is now? Some things are still there, but I don't I don't I think I've I've explored it much more since then. I, I listen to those songs and I like how um, um sort of I don't know what the word is naive they are, and sometimes they're really good for it. But I I just think I'm better now, so. I listen to some of them and I, I have a little little wince. And so when we play them, I might change the odd line here and there because it sounds a bit a bit sort of naive when I come back to it. But musically, I would say the biggest effect on my life musically writing was working with Steve Earle uh, because our band was very much a very musical band. Like uh, the keyboard player was really Steely Dan and Neil's a fantastic guitar player, but Steve alerted me to the power of simplicity. So I think I can I can call all of those musical things if I need them. But uh, I just I just like aiming for something that is deceptively simple these days. And I like I prefer my writing for it, you know. I write a lot of things for commission or for other people, but for commission, it's like I get asked to write for a, a radio program or, or, or a show. Uh, when I say a show, a big one we did in the last couple of years is called Ballads of Child Migration, which was all about the rather tragic but quite obscure subject of UK kids who were sent to places like Australia and Canada during the war, like to the empire, for want of a better word, to keep them away from the, the war and their story. And I wouldn't have, uh, and and you have to write to order, but you kind of also want it to be something that's very moving. And I, some of those songs are subjects I would never have thought to have written about, and I've had to write them so they're performable, so that they touch an audience. And I prefer some of those songs. I think are some of the best songs I've written. So when you're in a band, you can do whatever you like, but that's a double-edged sword as well. It's sometimes quite nice to know what you're meant to be writing for, you know. Have you ever had a period where you've had writer's block? For myself, yeah, almost permanently. <laughs> I've only I've only written one song in lockdown for myself that I really truly like, 
but for when I'm working with other people, no, I've written over 50 songs one way or another during lockdown with other people. No, so if someone else is there and wants me to do something, I can't say I've got writer's block. I just crack on with it. And but um, but for myself, yeah, writer's block all the time. And then it, eventually they come in a sort of burst. But yeah. I'll sit down, like I write songs for people all week, and then I'll think, oh, I'll write for myself on Saturday, and then nothing happens. And that's always been my, always the case with me, always. Right. I just, I just have to trust my subconscious when it's going to let me in. Right. But, um, Does um, your writing, when you write, you know, for yourself, is that drawn from personal experiences? Yes, but quite uh, yes, they, they they kind of are. They're, they're yeah, they're much more. Um, Yes, there's a sort of place I go to. So that, but I, I also want people to. But so the last record, I don't know if you heard the last record, which is a thing called Before. Yeah. That was uh, a lot of that was personal experience and, and, and was a sort of continuation of the previous record. And that record was specifically about growing up in a boring North London suburb. But it was kind of useful having a subject, and I made I tried to make the most sunny, upbeat record I could, with mm. the most with the most dour subject yeah. matter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which anyways, I enjoyed it very much. It's there. Yeah, people were surprised; they didn't know I could do upbeat records, so it was good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As an artist, do you want to be different for each album? Like, yes. Matter, you know, because you don't want to put up the same thing every album correct no i do i always want to change it up definitely and and that can frustrate some of the, my people around me but i'm not very well known so i think i've got the i've got a, i've got a pass i can do whatever i like it's not as if i'm following up a successful record and the main reason i do what i do at the very core is so that i can do whatever i like so i sort of design my life to be like that so i, I yeah right so I'm I live in a I live in a, a smaller house than some of my friends, but I suspect that sometimes I'm happier because I mean if it wasn't for COVID I would be uh, I'd I'd be on the road already and I love being on the road and I love all that it's not it doesn't really make make you as much money as having big hits or something but that's who I am I love that stuff so I've opted for a life where I do whatever I like. <laughs> As long as you have a room, they can keep all your records of yourself, right? Your, your well, partner. yeah, actually, they didn't fit in this flat, so they're they're all in a they're all in a lockup. So yeah. Yeah. How did uh, the Bible form? Uh, that was me and one other guy, uh, and that came from he. That was a guy called Tony Shepard, who was a well-known jazz drummer. But he, I just had a suspicion that maybe as a duo we could do something good, and that's how it started. And then it grew into a full band and met the McCalls and. All that sort of thing, but at the beginning, we, we, he, he would play a snare drum and I would play a, a, an electric guitar. That's how it started, and it was quite sort of. Um, there's one song that sounds like we used to on the first record. It's a song called "Talk to Me Like Jackie Kennedy," which is just us playing it live. I can't, but when we come to play it again and we listen to it, he can't believe that he used to be able to play that fast. The drumming on that is like a. Some people asked if it was sped up, but no, he really, he really used to be able to play that fast because he was a top, top jazz drummer. <laughs> <laughs>
But then it grew into a more conventional type band. And I, I sometimes I wasn't so happy with that. And then, like Crystal Palace is great. I really like it. But my favorite period of recording with the band was when we did our third album, which you won't know. And I don't think it's even on the streaming services. It's called Dodo. And that was we went a bit weird again, like the first record. It's a bit stranger. And that was produced by jim abyss who's a fantastic producer who went on to do arctic monkeys and stuff like that so we did uh it was a it was a lot more experimental and i think it's the best i think it's the best of the three records but but it's it's so obscure but it's when i listen to it i really like the sound of it and i think that the songs are really unusual and strong and if there's a, among our super fans of which there might maybe four or five now uh there's a song on that called buzz aldrin which that's their favorite song they always ask they always shout out for that at gigs you know so yeah i i met him once you met buzz aldrin yeah oh my god what was he like was he all right yeah he was i used to work at um al jazeera america yeah for the three years that we were uh, available and he came for interview and that was the very first guy who was interviewed there i'm like i gotta take a picture i gotta talk to him you know, at that point, he was, you know, I don't know how old he was, you know, but he was, you know, a cool, but it's older. Yeah. 
it was nice enough, but you know, I've never met an astronaut before, so that was no. Yeah. Did you ask? Did you ask him if he really did go to the moon? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, all these conspiracies. No. <laughs> and I'm sure he would have kicked my ass if I asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Buzz. Just own up. You never went, did you? Oh, yeah. all right. No. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'd be totally overawed if I met him. Wow. Yeah. You you'll have to send me that album if you have that on. Your... You might have to give me your address. I can show it you. Still, there it is. Because I've got the rights to it, I sell that. There it is. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely send you the address. Send you it. send you address. I'll send you a little care package. Oh, I love it. I love this record. Like, you know, like it's one of your, you know, most popular song, Graceland. That yeah. had three releases, I believe. That that just kept coming. Oh, out. Oh yes, they just kept putting <laughs> it out in the hope that it would be a hit. Would I give you money? I never quite understood why, because there's one of the songs after that, a song called Honey Be Good. Right, which I love. What was the most played 
record on on UK radio for like three weeks, and it it never trans it didn't translate into sales. But that was uh, I never quite understood that because it's a great sounding record. Like Steve Earle did just the best job on it, but. But it was funny. It used to make us laugh. Our, our, we used to call it the curse uh, because we'd have these things that happen and then they'd go slightly wrong. But what was really brilliant was that the curse left me and was inherited by Neil McCall. After the band split up, the, the rest of the band became a band called Liberty Horses. Okay. 
and they made an album on Rough Trade, which is wonderful. It's it's really wonderful. I think it's called Dreamland or something like that. It's a wonderful, wonderful record. Uh, but the curse left me and and went with them. And an example of the curse would be that Rough Trade were convinced that they were going to be, they really were so good, that they paid for a guy to come from the States to make a a video. And it was a really big budget video. And they they did the film, the video, and then Neil was driving the director back to the airport and they stopped off for a cup of coffee before they got to the airport. And they came out and Neil's car had been nicked with all the film and they never got it back again. And he told me that he told me that. And I said, I'm really sorry. And I said, you do realize that was the curse. You've got it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor Neil. Neil's doing great. He does really he does doing great, great things. And we're not quite. He did. He played with David Gray for a long time. And then he played, played with Dave Gilmore for a while. And he, he, he does great stuff. So we don't really get together that much as a band because he's doing such good things you know so when the band does eventually get back together you ever think about coming to the states well yeah we think a lot of things but it's whether or not anyone would it's expensive being in a band you know so the great thing is that there is a bit of a demand for us to play in the uk and we did a little tour about four years ago and you know none of us we we wasn't to make money We, we just can't afford not to make so it paid for itself. But when last time we played in London, we 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 all we we all got a little Christmas bonus. It was nice. But yeah, I'd love to come to the states. But who would come and see us, and who would who would put us on? So it's not really, yeah, not, you know, we're very obscure. So <laughs> yeah. Do you think like even in overseas where you guys are now, built a more loyal following over the years than you had original? Yeah, I think so, but I think it's maybe because of the work we've we've done since. I mean, when I do a little show, I just play little club shows and stuff, but people come. But there's some people come because of the Bible, some people come because they see me with Eddie, some people come because they see me with Peter, who I mentioned earlier. So I, I, you know, it's hard one. So I'll get a room full of people, but I've had to hard one right. audience, and I pre- I really appreciate it, and I, I miss it very much. I really miss playing live at the moment. So. Is um, the I guess the, the downfall of the band was that really because of that uh, town show? Is that true? That was first time. Yeah, I think so. We just thought, oh, this is no good. Yeah, they were in Germany. Yeah, with the, all that stuff. Yeah, we went over and we thought we were going to be on a German TV show, which we were, but it was a talent show and we came last. And there was just we we're on the plane back. There had been other things as well, and we just. We were all broke and, and and I'd got a young family and we just thought, oh, let's stop. And then I went off and got a record deal of my own right. uh, with Warner Brothers. And I went to them and said, I've got this deal. Do you want it? <laughs> and, that's how, and that's how we made that album. Dodo was on that deal. As it was, the record company didn't care for it which i still don't know why so i made uh i went and made an album called um baptist hospital which was produced by the legend that is john wood the man who did all of nick drake's records and stuff like that who did, engineered his records but produced pink moon which is obviously wonderful and he did the one after that as well which was on through the same people as well so uh 
it wasn't to be at the time but i got the rights back to that record and put it out so that's why you don't know it because it's just me doing it but it's a really good piece of work you know so and you, you bought all the copies yourself right <laughs> no I, I i manufacture them and everything yeah Right. I've, I've stopped now so there, there's only a handful left but um it's not even i don't think it's on streaming services or anything because it's me doing it and i'm i'm not a record company <laughs> do you play those songs like when you do your show no yeah. no no i've got so many yeah. places to pick songs from no i might do one day right there's there's one that there's one that we do there's two or three when the band get together we play live i love them actually love those songs so it's just they don't they don't really work with one man in the guitar they're sort of band songs you know do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio uh the first time i heard bible i do it was six it was oh, no it's on john peel that i remember that but i i was in bands before that uh, and I was in a band called The Great Divide when I was really young that was signed and I remember hearing that song on the radio but the, probably the one that sticks in my mind was it was uh, there was a soap opera it had a sort of unusual drum beat that record and there was a soap opera and somebody said quick quick come into the room and they were using it on, in the soap opera and this guy was a drummer or one, a wannabe drummer and he was drumming on the dashboard of his of his car i remember that <laughs> i hate hearing yourself on the radio i always think that it, all the other records sound like real records and my one comes on and everyone must be at home must be going what something's what's gone wrong with the radio it's broken right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you plan to uh record again with the darden that's how many plans oh we we talk about it all the time and never i can't see it ever happening because we just end up chatting and having a laugh right. <laughs> I, I can't i'm just always I, I i don't know always moving forward a bit really i yeah. de i love doing the workshops with him and i love our friendship i really cherish our friendship and we've written a couple of songs over the years but i think we're in a different place you know i think it would yeah just it wouldn't it would feel like it was lovely doing the tour last year um and we didn't we, neither of us had listened to evidence really since we've done it and, and and that was in response to in glasgow we did a somebody he was over and someone said do you want to do one show and we went oh yeah okay and it was a little it's a little club that's just up the road from where i am and it sold out it's not many people though we were a bit surprised and both of us realized that we didn't know the songs at all so we spent the afternoon in our dress in our dressing room relearning the album and going oh it's quite good isn't it and then we went out and we started playing and the entire audience sang along with every word and that totally blew our minds. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you make a record, you tend to move on, you know, but it's, we, we were really touched that people were like, oh, I've been waiting 30 years to hear this. And so that was nice. But I don't think, I don't think we've talked about writing loads of times, but it just never seems to happen. It's probably my fault. He'll tell you it's yeah. my fault. When you speak to right, him, he'll say it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll have to get on that. <laughs> has, has there ever been a show where you kind of forgot words to a song? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not. Yeah, but I'm really good at making up words off the top of my head. I'm really good at that. 
I can do it. I I did. I just did that this afternoon with someone. And I just like the whole song came out, and she thought I'd been cheating. It's just a. Uh, it's like a part, but I can do it. But um, Eddie Eddie can forget words like nobody's business. She's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. But but then she just starts singing. We all forget words. But I don't cheat. I don't cheat. Clifford has an iPad. They've blown his gaff. I don't cheat. I do try and memorise them. And nine times out of ten, I'm fine because you, you train yourself to do it. But every now and then, normally it's normally the the song you forget is the song you've played every night for 25 years. That's normally the one that goes like you will never see. Where, where is it? You'll never see. Graceland. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's like. Hmm. No, I've never. I never have seen Grace. I know it would be. It would turn that song into a lie, wouldn't it? No, I never have. I've got clothes, but I never have. uh, I've never seen it. I've got a lot of my friends have been. A lot of people send me pictures of themselves outside Graceland because they go and visit it and they remember remember that song. But no, I never have. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, what is your relationships with some of your Bible songs? Like, "Honey, Be Good." What is your relationship with that song? I normally remember writing them. That was written on the on the on the. I remember very about a friend of mine. I was staying at his, and he had a very very cheap foamy sofa, very uncomfortable. And I just I remember sitting on there, and I just I sort of discovered. Uh, I'll get my guitar. Hang on. <laughs> I'll email you one. <laughs> I'll find my pick. I know it's on here somewhere. I'll do it without a pick. But um Yeah, this is that was it was uh I was just sort of sitting playing my guitar and um if you do bar chords and leave the top two strings open and then I just moved up to and I thought, oh my god, that's a song. And and then I I did a demo of that, and the band weren't that keen on it. And then Steve Earle found it on 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 a demo tape I'd made, and he said, that's you got to record that. That's a hit. And it sort of was. So yeah. So that was my. And that's what you tend to remember. You tend to remember the moment they came into being. I love singing that song. I still sing that song live, and I still sing Graceland. But I would sing probably Honey Be Good's my favourite Bible song to sing on by myself. Because if you get the if you get the the groove just right, it just feels enormous. It's really nice, you know. And I like how I like how how much it means to people. Like I got I was asked to play it at um, some my friend's wedding. It's his favourite song. So it was it was interesting though because. Um, it was in Scotland and it was being held indoors because it was right far in the north. But a miracle happened and there was a beautiful day. So they quickly moved it outside. Uh, it really was one of the most beautiful days you've ever seen. So the idea was that I would start playing the song as him and his bride came around the corner and um they, that we're all sitting there on the patio and he said right now start playing now and just at that moment a bee stung me on the nose oh amazingly painful 
but I couldn't I couldn't stop. It's his special yeah. day. So uh, the other thought that comes into my mind now when I play that song is sheer agony. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my wife standing at the back and she could see me. She could see my like tears and, and me me like that. She said, so that was so beautiful. You were so moved by that. I said, no, it's a fucking bee stung me on the nose. <laughs> And, and uh, ironically, with Honey Be Good, which is kind oh, of interesting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I never thought of that before. Yeah. It was meant to be, yeah. yeah absolutely. But, uh, Boo, this this was fantastic. I appreciate your okay. time. To, no worries. Uh, I'm a big fan, and uh, hopefully one day I'll see you in America. Yes. I, I, don't hold your breath. Get, get a plan B. And a special thanks to Boo for joining me today. Check out his website, boohooradeen.net. And on Twitter, he's at boohooradeen. And just check him out. Search boohooradeen on Facebook. And if you have a good suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first TheFirstNoel19 or like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. And go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. And go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise t-shirts hoodies phone cases they're all there a new episode comes in every week stay safe everybody see you then